1967, a young man named Bob uh, joined the Navy and was stationed in Pensacola, Florida. There's a picture of Bob. Uh, he had two roommates, and one of them's name was Jim. And Jim invited Bob to church every week. Every Saturday night, Jim would say to Bob, Hey, Bob, you want to go to church with me in the morning? And now remember, this was long before live streaming. Uh, you didn't have the option to just stay in your PJs and watch church at home. Shout out to our online audience. You actually had to, this was like, young people, this was back in the day when you had to like get dressed and walk to church uphill both ways. Right? But no, anyway, so every Saturday night, Jim would be like, hey, Bob, you want to go to church? And Bob would be like, no, I'm good. I'm going to sleep in. Every week, this would repeat for, for months. Jim asking Bob to church, Bob saying no, until finally they were reassigned. And uh, Jim went to Scotland, Bob went to Morocco, and that was the end of it. Or was it? We are in a summer series called All is Grace, based on the book of John. If you've missed the past few weeks, I encourage you to go check those out. Uh, you can find those on our website, on our Facebook page, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, but today we move to chapter 4 of John. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the beginning of chapter 4. And uh, conveniently, in John chapter 4, I have four thoughts for you today, or four observations from the story that we're about to read. And my, my prayer, my goal, is that uh, one of the four thoughts or observations that I have for you this morning would speak to you, uh, that the Holy Spirit would use one of these four thoughts, uh, not all of them, just one, uh, would speak to you and encourage you or challenge you in your walk uh, following Jesus. Uh, but before we jump in, I do want to issue a word of caution to those of us that have been in church a long time. Uh, well, the story that I'm about to read is a fairly popular one. And so if you've grown up in church, or you've been around church for a long time, you're, you're going to recognize this story. You're going to know how this story plays out. And so the temptation for some of you is going to be to begin to zone out. Kind of put it on cruise control, start thinking about what's for lunch, or the checklist today, or the Bucks game tonight, go Bucks. And I just want to encourage you to focus back in, to pretend as if you're hearing this story for the first time, and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you in a fresh way today, because I believe that that's what he wants to do. So that's my challenge to those of you that have been in church for a while. Is that, is that cool? Challenge accepted? Okay, good. So John 4, starting in verse 1, John writes, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized him, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. All right, so we're going to stop right there. And the first thought or observation that I have for you today is this. Jesus engaged instead of ignored. Jesus engaged instead of ignored. Notice what John says. John says Jesus has been on a long journey and Jesus is tired. Bible scholars believe that it was about a 30-mile journey from Jesus' previous location to Sychar. 
So, so remember, Jesus has just traveled on foot in the heat 30 miles. That would be like, for those of us here uh, on campus at Northbrook, once we leave here today, to walk out the doors, head to the highway, and then walk to American Family Field, the, the old Miller Park. And then once we got there, we'd still have about four or five miles to walk. Anyone be tired after that walk in the heat? I think so. Let's, come on. Some of you need to be honest. Some of you, like, if you get a bad parking spot at Walmart, you're like, oh my gosh, I gotta walk all this. Are you kidding me? Like, just be real. 30 miles. Jesus has just walked 30 miles and it is hot and he is tired. And yes, he's fully God, but he is also fully human. You ever been tired? You ever been emotionally tired? You ever been cranky because you're tired? Almost every year for the past 15 years, with a few exceptions, I've taken a group of students to a summer camp in Wapaka. Summer camp runs Monday through Friday. And people are always like, oh, that must have been so fun, taking students to summer camp. Huh, let me tell you about it. <laughs> let me just tell you about it. Every day I get up about 6.30 in the morning, and typically it's like 80, 90 degrees, and I'm sat outside most of the day, and the day ends around midnight. And that repeats day after day. And then Thursday, the last night, you might think, oh, students got to be tired. They'll probably send them to bed early. No. No, students, they, they run on caffeine. Those of you that have teenagers, you know this. Like, they run on caffeine because they know the weekend's coming and they can just sleep for 48 hours straight. <laughs> and so on Thursday night, they let the teenagers stay up till about 2 or 3 in the morning. This is about a 20-hour day the last day I'm there. And so by Friday morning, I'm tired. I'm cranky. I'm not very pastoral. I just want to go home. I'm tired. In fact, I actually have a visual for you. For those of you that like Star Wars, I found a little visual that helps you picture me Monday through Friday. So this is John on Monday. Baby Grogu, Monday of summer camp. I got my coffee. I'm all smiles. Life is wonderful. I love the students. This is John on Friday. <laughs> Old, tired Yoda, ready to die. summer camp. And here's what I know about being tired. When you are tired, it is more difficult to be present in the moment. It is more difficult to be available to other people. It is more difficult to be loving. And Jesus is tired. And as he sits down at this well, I'm sure that he is ready to relax, to zone out, take a nap, draw on the sand, do whatever it is that people did before social media and TV to zone out. And that is interrupted by a woman coming out to draw water. And Jesus was not expected to interact with her. In that culture, in that day and age, there is no expectation that Jesus should have to do anything to interact with her. There are no crowds watching that Jesus has to impress and so it would have been very easy for Jesus to zone out and ignore her. But where many probably would have ignored this woman, Jesus sees an opportunity. And so here's a question that I've been wrestling with as I've studied this story this past week. How often do I zone out and stare at my phone screen or mentally just stop being present and I miss opportunities to love the people around me? in my home, or at my job, 
or as I go out and I interact with people at the grocery store, at my kids' baseball games, how many times do I stop being mentally present and I miss opportunities to love the people around me? Or because I'm focused on what's next, how often do I miss what's now? Notice what John says. John says Jesus was on a journey and his destination was not Sychar. You remember where, where Jesus was headed? Galilee. Jesus was on a journey to Galilee. Sychar was not on the list of towns that he was going to minister to people. He was headed to Galilee. But he stops at a well and he sees an opportunity. Because for Jesus, it wasn't about the journey. It was about the people on the journey. You know, we get so caught up in the journey of life, the day-to-day, the checklist, the next, the to-do list, the end destination, that we often miss what life is all about. Life is about people. Not money, not status, not arriving or attaining or checklist. It's not even about arriving in Galilee on time, though I love to be in on time. It's about the people that we encounter as we go about life. It's about love. And Jesus knew that. He was tired. He was on the middle of a journey, but he saw an opportunity. Some of the most important moments in life happen when we're not looking for them. They're not scheduled and they're not planned. In fact, I'm sure everyone in the room can think about important moments in your life that that just happened. They weren't scheduled. They just happened. In college one summer, I uh, chaperoned one of the weeks of summer camp that I just described to you. And I came back on Friday and I was really tired. It was Friday afternoon. And so um, I decided I was going to take a nap. I told my parents, hey, I'm taking a nap. And my parents were like, okay, that's, that's fine. Just know we're having a family over for dinner and they have a daughter. And my mom said that. And you know, the way that your mom says things, like you can usually read the tone. And the way that she said that implied to me, I need you to babysit. Like they have a little daughter, you're going to need a babysit. And so I'm like, no problem. I got this. Just put a movie in. It'll be fine. And so I wake up as they're like about to walk in the house. My parents are like, hey, like wake up. They're, they're here. And so I got like sleep in my eyes, probably got drool coming out of my mouth. And in walks this beautiful teenage woman. And I'm like, well, thanks for the heads up, mom. (laughs) And that was my first meeting of Mrs. Malstead, Shalana, the woman that became my wife. Some of the most important moments in life happen when you're not looking for them. But I also have to wonder how many important moments in life don't happen because we miss them. How many little interactions do we miss because we're so focused on what's next or we're so distracted or we're just mentally not present and we miss divine opportunities to love the people around us? What would it look like to live life more aware of the opportunities to engage with the people around us? to put away the phone, to stop focusing on what's next, and notice people. More than that, to to listen and be aware of the little nudges that the Holy Spirit will give us to interact with the people around us. Because when you wake up tomorrow, it's not about what you accomplish or the destination you end up. 
or how many things you check off a list. It'll be about the people you interact with and the ways that you show them the love of your heavenly father. Jesus was tired, but he engaged with the woman anyway. Moving on, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? So there's a lot there. But a couple things I want to point out. The second thought I have for you today from the story is that Jesus saw past the labels to the person. Jesus saw past the labels to the person. It would have been one thing if a Jewish man came out to draw water. But that is not who came out. A Samaritan woman came out to draw water, and immediately there are two obvious reasons why Jesus and her should not have interacted. There are two big barriers between any sort of relationship developing between the two of them. First, she is a Samaritan. Samaritans uh, were considered to be second-class citizens by the Jews. The Jews referred to them as dogs. In Jewish religious leaders' eyes, as a Samaritan, she was unclean. She was to be avoided at all costs. Just being near her could make Jesus religiously unclean. In fact, it would be expected that as soon as Jesus saw her, he would withdraw at least 20 feet away from the well. Apparently, Jewish religious leaders were experts in social distancing before it was a thing. 20 feet, not six, though. Jewish culture uh, believed that Samaritans were the enemy. Their religious beliefs were wrong, and they were the problem with the world. So she's a Samaritan. But she's also a woman. And in Jewish society and in cultural in general, most people had a low view of women. 
In fact, some Jewish thought held that for a rabbi to talk and teach a woman, even his own wife, was at best a waste of time and at worst a diversion from the study of Torah. And anything that was a diversion from the study of Torah could send one to hell. Therefore, there was a a strain of thought that believed that if you were teaching a woman, you could be going to hell. It's crazy, but it's true. I'm also going to store that one away in my back pocket. My daughter's 12, and as she gets older and boys try to approach and talk to her, I may pull that one out, talk to a woman. Never know where that might lead. So this is the other obstacle. She is a woman. She's a Samaritan. She's a woman. But there's more. She's traveling to the well by herself at noon in the heat of the day, which is very odd. Most women would travel in groups to the well outside their town for obvious reasons, for community, for social life, also for safety in numbers. And they would travel in the cool of the day. Mornings or evenings, not in the middle of the day when it was hottest and they had to lug giant jars of water back to town. So this woman comes out in the middle of the day by herself, and Jesus knows that she has had five husbands, and the man that she is with is not her husband. And though we don't know why, it's safe to assume that she has been somewhat labeled and ostracized by her own people. It may be through fault of her own, bad decisions, sin in her life, but it's also very possible that it wasn't her fault. It's also very possible that the reason that she has had five husbands is because she is unable to bear children. And she has been divorced five times due to that fact. And so it's not sin in her life as much as it is just the unfortunate circumstances of life that finds her walking out to a well by herself in the middle of the day. Remember, the belief back then was that if you had something wrong with you, some sort of physical ailment, that it was God's punishment for something that you had done or your family had done, and so there was no need for sympathy or compassion. You were to be on the outs. And so we don't know why, but it is safe to assume that as she walks out to that well by herself, that she has a lot of labels. She has been labeled by Jewish culture, but she has also probably been labeled by her own people. And Jesus sees past the labels to the person. Jesus doesn't start the conversation by pointing out all of the things that are going on against her, all of the obvious reasons that he shouldn't be talking to her. He treats her with dignity from the start. He's not interested in the labels that have been given her. He is interested in how he can show her the divine love of her heavenly father. You know, when we can't see past labels, we always miss opportunities to love. Our society, we, we love to label each other. We, some of our labels are fun, like, oh, you're, you know, he's a Broncos fan, go Broncos. But other labels, they, they have a little something to them whenever we say them, like, oh, they're that political party, or oh, they're that religious denomination, or they belong to that group. And immediately as we, as we issue that label, there's certain feelings that, that whelm up in us. There's, if we're being honest, there's, there may be some distrust that immediately is under the surface as soon as we hear that someone belongs to a certain group. But the only label that really matters as we interact with people is the label that God has given them, created in the image of God. 
What would it look like to treat every person, both in person and on social media, by the way, as someone who is created in the image of God, deserving of the love of God? To approach everyone that we meet with love and curiosity instead of judgment. Which brings me to my third observation from this story. Number three, she led with curiosity. The Samaritan woman, she leads with curiosity. It's easy to focus on Jesus in this story, and, and rightly so, but, but what about the woman? As the Samaritan woman walked out to the well and saw a rabbi sitting by it, I'm sure her heart sank. All of her previous years of life experience had no doubt taught her that this was the enemy. Nothing good was going to come from a Jewish rabbi sitting at a well. And she would expect to be at best ignored and at worst to be scorned and judged. And as she gets closer, he doesn't move away. And then he asks for a drink, which is completely inappropriate. And yet somehow as she begins to interact with Jesus, she puts down her assumptions and she leads with curiosity. She doesn't attack. She isn't defensive. She asks questions. She is open to see where the interaction will lead. And by staying curious and not defensive or attacking, she opens the door to a real interaction that will change her life. You know, so often in life when we come in contact with someone we don't understand or someone from a group we've heard negative things about, we immediately turn to judgment instead of curiosity and goodwill. Or the second someone does something that we interpret to be insulting or attacking, we armor up and we turn to sarcasm or anger or factual coldness. But what would it look like when someone does something that we could interpret as attacking or insulting? What would it look like instead to lead with love and curiosity? To wonder what the story is behind their actions. What life experiences have led them to this moment? What if we woke up tomorrow and every day after and said this, every interaction I have today, I will look past labels and lead with curiosity and goodwill. Every interaction I have today, I will look past labels and lead with curiosity and goodwill. Continuing on. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I've ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. No, Jesus is saying right there, right? He's saying, you guys think the Samaritans are the enemy, the problem, but they're actually an opportunity if you'll just open your eyes. Continuing on, he says, even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefit of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. 
They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. So my last thought for you from this story is number four, don't underestimate the impact of a moment. Jesus sees an opportunity to engage with a woman, even though he's tired and he sees past the labels and from a conversation that probably takes three minutes, an entire town's lives are changed. The people in Samaria, in that Samaritan town, they come out and they hear the good news and many believe. And Jesus stays there two days. He was headed to Galilee. But he takes a two-day detour, which again is a reminder that some of the most impactful moments in life won't be scheduled. In fact, they may involve, and I know all the planners in the room are going to wince at this, but they may involve scrapping the schedule. They may involve being late. They may involve texting or calling someone and saying, I'm actually not going to make it. Some of the most impactful moments aren't going to be the ones we schedule. They're going to be the ones where we scrap the schedule and we stay open to loving the people around us. Jesus has a conversation, and from that conversation, an entire town has the opportunity to hear about the goodness of God. But it doesn't end there. And here's what's fun. Years later, in Acts chapter 8, if we fast forward a few years, we get to the book of Acts, and Acts is the story of the early church after Jesus died and rose again, right? Well, we come to Acts 8, and we read about a disciple named Philip going to a city in Samaria— And the people there readily accepting his message about Jesus dying and rising again. And the question is, why would people in Samaria, Samaritans, be so readily willing to accept a Jewish man's story about Jesus? Well, we don't know for sure because Luke doesn't tell us what city it is, but a lot of Bible scholars believe that Philip has actually gone back to the same town that is in our story today. And that group of people are so readily willing to accept his message because they have met Jesus in the flesh. And can you imagine that Samaritan woman at the well may have been in the crowd when Philip comes back years later and says, the man that you met years ago, he in fact was crucified by the Romans. But it didn't end there. He rose again, proving that he was exactly who he told you he was. God in the flesh. Never underestimate what God can do when we say yes to the small opportunities he puts in front of us. We only see a small version of the full story. It's like we go through our days and we think we're playing checkers, but God is playing chess. And it's not up to us to figure out the future. It's, it's up to us to be faithful in the moment. So back to my story from the beginning. So we have Bob— and his roommate Jim in Pensacola, Florida. Jim keeps inviting Bob to church. Bob keeps saying no. They go their separate ways. Jim goes to Scotland. Bob goes to Morocco. Well, in 1969, Bob is assigned to the island of Guam. And who would be his roommate? Jim. Jim ends up being his roommate in Guam. And what do you think Jim does? Jim says to Bob, hey, you want to go to church with me? And Bob says, nope. And that continues on until finally Bob gets so tired of him asking that he decides, I'm going to say yes one time with the condition that you stop asking me. And so Bob goes to church on the island of Guam one time. 
And that's all it takes. Though he's heard the gospel, though he's been in church before, for whatever reason, that one time, the good news penetrates his heart and he becomes a follower of Christ. Fast forward a few years, he gets out of the Navy and he decides to go to a Christian college in Colorado. And while he's there, he meets uh, a beautiful woman named Judy. Uh, He was scared to ask Judy out, but Judy was teaching piano lessons, so suddenly Bob decided that he would take piano. (laughs) After a few lessons, he finally got the nerve to ask her out, stop taking piano from her, and the rest is history. Bob and Judy got married. There's a picture of them on their wedding day. A few years, or many years later, actually, they had a smart, (laughs) talented, sweet, bright, athletic, funny, charming. I got a few more. Whimsical, perfect, child. Really thought I liked you, Jeff. <laughs> Bob and Judy are my parents. What would have happened if Jim had stopped asking? What would have happened if Jim had asked a couple times and then just focused on his career in the Navy or what he wanted to do outside the Navy? Or what if he had just given up? We don't know the impact that our simple actions have on others. And that's not to put this huge weight on us as we go about our lives that, oh my gosh, like everything's on me and I have to do everything perfect. No, no, no. If you're you're hearing that, you're missing the point. The point is that God can use simple actions to make a huge difference in the world. And our job is not to go through our days feeling this weight to be perfect. Our job is to simply go through our days recognizing that God is at work in the world and we are invited into that work. If we'll just be open and looking for the opportunities. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your love. A love that loves us freely and without condition, no matter how much we mess up, your love is still there. And Father, I pray that as we go through our days that we would be conduits of that love to others. And that more than that, that we would be... uh, mindful of the opportunities that you give us in our homes, places we work, places we visit, to be a part of what you're doing in the world, to show love to others. May may we love people freely. May we see past the labels, the walls, the hurts that they have, and may may we love them and see them as you see them. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.